You're listening to Theology for the Rest of Us. You've got tough questions. We'll try to give you easy answers. Now, here's your host, Kenny Ortiz. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I'm Kenny Ortiz. This is Theology for the Rest of Us coming at you from the great metropolis of the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. This is episode 268. And in this episode, I'm going to talk about the Kalam cosmological argument uh, for the existence of a creator. Uh, the Kalam cosmological argument is a pretty simple argument that I think pretty much any Christian can master uh, relatively quickly. It goes pretty much like this. Number one, whatever has a beginning must have a cause. Number two, the universe has a beginning. Number three, therefore, the universe must have a cause. The first point is this, whatever has a beginning must have a cause, meaning if something has a starting point, that means something must have caused it to come into existence. And we just know from the world of science and from common sense, things don't just come into existence from nothing on their own. If something has started at any point, it's because some other thing had the power to start it. So if the universe had a beginning, that means there was something or someone that actually caused the universe to come into existence and caused it to start. That is in essence what the, that's the foundation of the Kalam cosmological argument. So, number one, whatever has a beginning has a cause or has something that brought it into existence. Number two, the universe must have a beginning. Um, It used to be that people thought the universe was eternal. A lot of scientists, philosophers said that. Uh, Bertrand Russell, I think, was the philosopher who famously said, the universe is just there or it just is. Um, And wasn't necessarily willing to embrace the idea that it started at some point. Uh, But this has since been proven wrong, largely because of the discoveries of the 1900s. There were lots of discoveries and developments throughout the 20th century, uh, but one of the most prominent ones, of course, was Albert Einstein's development of his theory of uh, general relativity, which certainly was a massive breakthrough in the world of science. I talked about that and mentioned that in episode 265 when I was talking about the argument for fine-tuning. Um, Einstein, in his theories, basically showed that the universe was not static um, and therefore was likely not eternal. It was likely that the universe had not been in existence forever and ever and ever. This is what his math equations were showing. Now, Einstein didn't like this. It bothered him because he knew that if his math equations pointed to the universe having a beginning, that now they would have this issue or they'd have to ask themselves, what created the universe or what brought it into existence. So he attempted to add a fudge factor to kind of reconcile this. And because he added this fudge factor into his equations, he was indeed able to still show that the universe was indeed static. It wasn't expanding and it was indeed eternal. But later his math was shown to be flawed and that uh, actually the universe based on the math 
was indeed expanding and did indeed have a beginning. Einstein later in his career would, would eventually say that, that this particular moment with this fudge factor, uh, he called it the greatest blunder of his life. Um, so we know that the universe does indeed have a beginning. This was uh, greatly uh, reiterated by various discoveries and developments from the world of physics and cosmology. One of the greatest breakthroughs was Edwin Hubble. Um, he worked to prove that the universe sprang into existence from one single point, reiterating that the universe does indeed have a beginning. So we know things don't bring themselves into existence from nothing. Nothing doesn't create something and things don't create themselves. So since the universe had a beginning, it started at some point in the past and it came into existence, there must be something or someone that created it and brought it into existence. The well-known physicist uh, Alexander Vilenkin I think I'm pronouncing that properly. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, he's a very well-known, well-respected physicist. Uh, he's a professor at Tufts University in New England. He says this, There is no escape. Scientists have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. This is the reality. The universe has a beginning. Therefore, something must have created it. The thing that created the universe, the thing that started our universe, must be a thing or a person that is outside of our universe, that transcends our universe and transcends the, the laws that govern our universe. Um, this person or being or thing must be able to create matter and material, must be able to manipulate some of the fundamental forces of our universe and must be spaceless and immaterial himself or itself. Basically, Whatever created the universe must be outside of the universe, must be bigger than our universe, and must be more powerful than our universe. Whoever or whatever created the universe must be unbelievably powerful. If you combine this with the fine-tuning argument that I unpacked in episode 265, which in essence is the argument that the universe is so perfectly designed, there's so many things, so many intricate things that happened throughout the course of the universe that, 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 that the statistical probability that it happened by itself or randomly are astronomically low. And in fact, it's actually absurd to believe that it happened by random chance or by accident. When you think about the fact that the universe has a beginning, therefore must have some creator or something that caused it to start. And then when you think about the fine tuning argument, the fact that it's as if the, the universe is intentionally developed with human life in mind and it is purposely put together with, with against incredible statistical probability that it could happen by accident. When you think about all of those things, you start to, to realize pretty quickly that it makes way more sense to believe in God than to not believe in a God. Now, I'm not arguing that the Kalam cosmological argument proves the God of the Bible or proves Christianity. That's not what I'm arguing. I am arguing that the Kalam cosmological argument proves that there is some creator bigger than our universe, more powerful than our universe, powerful enough to create our universe. I just so happen to believe that the God of the Bible is the creator of our universe. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope it was helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on a future episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. The best email address is heyortiz at theologyfortherestofus.com. That's H-E-Y-O-R-T-I-Z at theologyfortherestofus.com. Or if you have a question about anything I said in this episode or you need some clarity, I'd also love to hear from you. And if you happen to know someone that you think would make a great interview guest, please shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. Or you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. That's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been Theology for the Rest of Us.